Grab your Bibles and your handouts that you were given this morning. We're going to continue in the series called uh, Your Words. And as, as you get prepared for that, let me say one, one quick thing or a couple quick things to just let you know what's happening. Uh, as of this morning, uh, this was uh, 17 people we've been able to baptize in the last month here at Eastside. And I'm really excited about that. And we have another set, I was just told this morning, we have another 17 people who are in the process of preparing for baptism who will be baptized in this next month or so. And I think that's really something to praise God for, don't you? I think that's really exciting. So if you, if you have made a decision to follow Christ and you've not yet been baptized, or maybe you, you were, uh, have been a follower of Jesus for a long, long time and you haven't been baptized, uh, let us know. Let's, let us help you prepare for that so that we can celebrate with you as well. The other thing I want to let you know as, as a way of just something for the family here at Eastside, for those of you who are a part of Eastside Community Church, um, I haven't actually had to announce this for a long, long time here at Eastside, and I don't mind announcing it, but I want you to know that on a regular basis, we have a benevolence fund here at Eastside that we, we set aside funds to uh, help people here in this body of Christ and in this community with various needs. Sometimes it's utility bills. Sometimes it's uh, car uh, repair. It, it's all kinds of different things. Sometimes we even hire people temporarily to help them bridge the gap between unemployment and employment. And we use the, our benevolence fund for that. Right now, our benevolence fund is dry. And so, and, and here's the deal. I don't, here's the way we do this at Eastside. This is not tithes and offerings money. This is funds that we as a body of Christ, that we as a family give to members of our family through the benevolence fund. And like I said, I'm, I am excited about the fact that I have not announced that we need funds in our benevolence fund for probably over two years because many of you just write checks once in a while and you give so that people, so we have money in the benevolence fund. But we've had a lot of needs over the last few months and that fund is dry. So I want to let you know we need to help one another out. So if you uh, feel called and prompted to do that, uh, make, uh, write a check that's a, that's a gift and just write benevolence fund on it and we'll replenish that resource. Okay, now let's, uh, let's go quickly. I have a very short period of time. I'm going to talk fast. You need to write notes quickly, and we're going to go through a message uh, called How to Train Your Tongue. Anybody watch the movie? Maybe you have kids or grandkids. Anybody watch the movie How to Train Your Dragon? Anybody seen that? Um, I, I just thought about that this week, and I thought about the, the movie. I haven't actually seen the movie. I did read a review on it, but I, I just thought, you know, it's, it's probably a little bit the same, isn't it? Uh, training a dragon would be very difficult. Training your tongue James, the brother of Jesus, tells us actually that training our tongue is actually impossible, at least from a human standpoint. It's, and it's a little bit like a dragon if we don't train it, isn't it? It's a fire-breathing killer, If we, the Bible tells us. The, the theme of this series has been the power of life and death is in the tongue. And out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we need to know how to train our tongue. We need to know how to help how to allow God to help train our tongue. It really is only possible as God empowers us. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 26 says, If anyone thinks himself to be religious, in other words, to be walking out ways of knowing God, to be walking out his faith, that's what that word means. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, 
but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. It's kind of a strong statement, isn't it? This is the brother of Jesus talking here, saying, you can be walking out your faith, but if you haven't bridled your tongue, this walking out your faith has been a worthless endeavor for you. And remember, he's, we've, we've read in Scripture in this series, what we say comes from our heart, comes from the condition of our heart. So if there's something we're saying, if our tongue has not yet been bridled, there's some heart work that needs to happen, isn't there? Now, it's important to, for us to understand what our responsibility is and what God's responsibility is. Just like when we come to faith, just like when we enter into relationship with God, there are things that are God's responsibility and there are things that are our responsibility. When you enter into relationship with God, you need to know that your only responsibility is to have a desire and an intention to be in a relationship with God and to receive what God has done for you. That is your responsibility. God's responsibility is to rescue us. God's responsibility is to do the work of repentance in us so that we move toward Him, to do the transformation in our minds. That's God's job. That's His responsibility. And just the same when we talk about taming our tongue or bridling our tongue, we need to understand what is our responsibility and what is God's responsibility. Because as James tells us, this is not possible in and of our own strength. We cannot do this ourselves. Um, anybody here ever tried to tame a wild horse? Anybody? Maybe a couple of you. That's, that's, I didn't know how many there would be here today. That maybe you've had. Have you ever tried to put a bridle on a wild horse? Uh, let me just tell you, it's a whole. It, sometimes it's difficult to put a bridle on a tame horse. Anybody ever experienced that? Can you imagine how much more difficult it is to put a bridle on a wild horse? I grew up on the farm. We had lots of horses and ponies through the years. And uh, in fact, where we live now, a guy used to raise wild ponies. Brought them in from the west and raised them here. And we used to put wild horses periodically in a pen or in a corral. And I used to, as I was growing up, I, I used to think they were mean. They're really not mean. They're just terrified. And they'll do anything they need to do to try to defend themselves. So if you approach them, you're going to get teeth, hooves, all kinds of stuff coming at you. Very difficult to put a bridle on a wild horse. You know where I'm going with this, right? It's pretty difficult to put a bridle on a wild tongue, too. That's why we need God's help. So let's quickly go through this. Follow along in your notes. How to train your tongue. Now this is going to sound so simple. It's one of those things that's easier said than done. Right? Pardon the pun. Um, the first thing is we need to stop and listen. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? We need to stop and listen. James 1.19 says, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Notice he has anger and speech closely related in the sentence here, doesn't he? Quick to hear. My grandmother used to say, son, you got two ears, one mouth. Do the math. You need to listen more than you talk. Um, 
Have you ever, ever had a problem with anger? <clears throat> it's often, if you have a problem with anger, or if you've had a history with a, a problem with anger, it could be because sometimes you start talking before you start thinking. <clears throat> In Proverbs 21, verse 23, it says, He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles. Proverbs 10, 19 says, Where there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Proverbs 17, 27 says, He who restrains his words, what's he saying? Be slow to speak, has knowledge. He who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is considered prudent. Some of us, I told you about myself, as this series, earlier in this series, I grew up with a loaded weapon as a mouth. Some of you can relate to that, right? Some of us, our mouths are loaded and ready to go off at any given moment. It probably should be considered the first, you know, concealed carry weapon in our arsenal. Some of us here uh, have foolish tongues. Have you ever heard the old saying, um, it's better to be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. That's, uh, it's, not, it's not, you know, original with me by any means. Proverbs eighteen thirteen says, He who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. Let me ask you this. Have you ever, have you ever finished another person's sentence? Yeah, we have a tendency to do that, don't we? Have you ever noticed a couple sometimes when they talk or tell a story, it takes both of them to tell the story? Or once in a while, one of them just breaks in so often that the other one will go, honey, why don't you tell the story? We have a hard time listening, don't we? We have a hard time stopping and restraining our tongue. I have this list, this five steps of listening. I'm going to give these to you. I actually gave them to you in your notes because I wanted you to have this, not have to worry about taking the time to write it down. And I wish I had time to unpack this in detail. This is so important, this steps of listening, this five steps of listening. Because so often what we do is we, we hear quickly and we jump to number five and we respond. When what we need to do is, is make certain we're hearing and that we're focused and that the person who is talking knows that we're listening. No elbows now, no, you know, no carefully planted amens. We need to acknowledge what's been said. We need to seek to understand. I say this so often to couples when they're sitting in my office or when I'm talking to someone who's dealing with a conflict. Write this down. Seek to understand more than you seek to be understood. Seek to understand more than you seek to be understood. How many times have you been in a conversation where you, where you find yourself saying, if you just be quiet and listen to me, I'll, I'll explain to you what I'm trying to say. Why do we say that? Because we want to be understood, don't we? But if we seek understand more than we seek to be understood it'll change everything number three clarify clarify what's been said so that you know for certain you're understanding what's been said and the other person knows you know what's been said and then 
then stop and empathize. Stop and help the person know that you're feeling, you're experiencing what they're communicating. And then, and only then, can you respond. Five steps of listening. Friends, if we do this in our marriages and in our families and with our children and in our workplaces and in our friends and with any conflict that you deal with, if you'd stop and do those five things and just follow the, the mandate of Scripture to stop and listen, to be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Wow, can you imagine what that would change in our lives and in our marriages and our families? Very important. So we need to stop and listen. Secondly, we need to submit and meditate. Submit and meditate. Have you ever said something and then thought, I, I should have thought before I said that. I shouldn't have said Can you ever say something and you wish you could just pull those words back and stuff them back in your mouth? Anybody here ever had that experience? I'm, I'm, I'm the only one in the room who's ever had that experience, right? There's three types of people in the world. People who think before they talk. People who think while they're talking. And people who think after they talk. We need to stop before we speak and submit. Now, listen carefully. We need to submit our heart to God. And meditate on what he is saying to us. I want you to hand your heart to the Father and allow Him to pour His truth and His spirit and His power and His understanding and His wisdom into your heart. I'm going to talk more about the connection that God wants to have with our heart. When we enter into relationship with God, God wants to connect His heart to ours. He wants to connect, maybe it's better what said, He wants to connect our heart to His heart talk more about that in a minute. It's incredibly important for us to understand that. Proverbs 23, 7 says, for, for as he thinks within his heart, is what it's talking about, as he thinks within himself, so is he. You know, I want to become more and more a person who, who's thinking and meditating on what God's saying so that I become more and more like him. Have you ever noticed as people get older, they either get better or they get what? Bitter. More of one or the other. You've heard me talk about Marvin Martin, my 90-year-old young friend. He'll soon be 91. I love spending time with Marvin because he's such an encouragement to me. And he's, he's a demonstration of what God can do in the heart of someone that's completely submitted to his will and to his lordship. I love that. I want to be that kind of man. In Luke 9, 40, verse 47, Jesus says, Jesus, knowing what they were thinking in their heart, took a child and stood him by his side. Notice he says he knew what they were thinking where? In their heart. We'll talk more about what this means in a minute. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 4, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why are you thinking evil, where? In your heart. Matthew 15, 19. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. We've talked about that over the last few weeks. 
Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit to both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the, say it with me, heart. Now, you may find this hard to believe, and I did a lot of research on this this week, and if I had time, I'd read you the articles. Medical science, and this is a controversial science still, medical science more and more are finding that People actually are thinking with their hearts. It's a whole life, whole body experience. Do some research sometime. You can go on the internet and and other journals of medicine and so. You'll find that what they're discovering through lots of research is that when people get heart transplants, some of those memories are stored at a cellular level. It changes sometimes their food preferences. Sometimes they have dreams. There have been crimes that have been solved. When someone was murdered, their heart was transplanted to another person, and they had dreams about the murderer. Pretty amazing, isn't it? I know. I wouldn't have believed it either had I not done the study I've done on it this week. Maybe there's more to this than what we understand. Maybe it's deeper and more significant and more physical and more real than what we've thought. Maybe, as Mike, I loved your testimony, Mike. You said, you know, I've intellectualized my faith many of the years of my life, and now I've experienced it at a much deeper level. What you're saying is, now it's deep in my heart. That's the way it works. That's the way God wants it to work. And that's why he wants our heart to be connected to his heart. It's just like when someone goes on life support and they hook a person up to a life support machine and they can't stay alive unless they're on the machine. We can't stay alive spiritually unless we're connected to the heart of God. God wants to connect his heart to yours. And if you've not had that experience, you need to become a follower of Jesus. Because that's what God wants. That's why Jesus died. So that, Because let's face it, friends, until Jesus died and people understood how serious God is about this and how much the Holy Spirit can be involved at the depth and the core of our soul, until that, it was mostly just an intellectual experience. But because of what Jesus has done, and because he sent the Holy Spirit to live in us, God connects his own heart, and it beats within our own soul. That's the level of connection we get to have with God. Now, that's why, and that's the only reason it's possible to train our tongue, is because God beating within his heart, beating within ours, gives us his will, his thoughts, his heart, his intention, his mind, his wisdom, his truth, his characteristics. That's the only way Galatians 5 is possible. You know, often we study Galatians 5 and talk about the fruit of the Spirit, and we try to go after the fruit of the Spirit. That's the wrong way around, friends. We need to be pursuing God. And the more we're connected to the heart of God, the more the fruit is born out of our life. The more we bear fruit. We're just a branch. We can't produce fruit. We just bear it. We just hold it. You can't produce joy. You can't produce kindness. You can't produce peace. You can't produce patience. 
You can't produce it. It's not possible. It's only possible with the Holy Spirit living in you. Somebody's got to say amen to that. This is true. Isn't it true? It's true. Number three, we need to surrender and pray. Isaiah chapter 6 says, In the year King of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. He's in a vision experience here, lofting and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And the one called out to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, woe is me for I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. Notice that the first thing that happens to Isaiah is the recognition that out of his mouth are coming Evidence of a sinful heart. For my eyes have seen the king. He's standing in front of God here. My eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity, your sinful nature, is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. Now, at this point, Isaiah's heart has been connected to the heart of God. And it's beating with the things that matter to God. And now he's seeing the way God sees, and he's experiencing the way God experiences, and he wants to do what God wants done. So in the midst of worship, he has a powerful encounter with God, and the first thing he realizes is that he has, he has a heart full of iniquity, and it's pouring out of his lips. He's convicted about his mouth and his tongue. He confesses that he cannot control himself and that he needs help. Now, friends, the truth is I need the same kind of help. I need that same kind of help every single day. And the truth is so do you. We all do. We're all in the same condition. We're all in the same position. See, unless I am healed and set free from sin and filled with God's Word and Holy Spirit, I can't help myself. I can't help my bride. I can't help my I can't help anybody. I can't live the life I've been called to live without the work of God working in me. You know, I grew up, I grew up in church. <laughs> I could, if I had time, I'd tell you more of my story. But I grew up thinking I was a follower of Jesus. I, I was in a small church. Kathy and I grew up in the same little country church. When we were 12 years old, we were leading worship together in this little country church on Sunday, almost every Sunday. I think we took turns, didn't we? But I wasn't a follower of Jesus. I just acted like one most of the time. I sang in a group that traveled around the region and so. And, but it wasn't until the fall of my junior year in high school, about the time I turned 17, I finally realized that I had never stopped 
I had never submitted. I'd never surrendered. And then the evidence of that was when I was around my friends. <laughs> you know, there's all kinds of stuff pouring out of my mouth. Now, not on church, not on Sunday. No, 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 not on Sunday. But when I was around my friends, the evidence of who I was and the fact that I wasn't yet connected to the heart of God was pouring out of my mouth. I needed to stop. I needed to surrender. Submit, and I needed to surrender. And then and only then, and since that time, God has lived in me, the Holy Spirit has lived in me, and has given me the ability because of His power, not because of what I'm doing, but because of His work to stop my tongue and to submit my tongue and to surrender my tongue to listen, to meditate on what God's saying and to pray that my life and my will will line up with His. Friends, that is the only way to train a tongue. It isn't possible on your own. Now, I don't know what the Holy Spirit's saying to you. I know what He said to me this week. He said, stay the course. You've got you to keep doing this. You've got to keep stopping. You've got to keep submitting. You've got to keep surrendering every day. Just like Paul said, every day I die. I die every day to myself, my own will, my own desires, so that I can listen, so I can meditate on God's Word and pray God's will in my life and in lives of others. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? What's he saying to you? You need some help with this? You need some help listening? You need some help bridling your tongue? Let me tell you, if you're alive and breathing, you need help bridling your tongue. We all do, don't we? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Let's stop right now and submit our lives, maybe all over again, and surrender. As you pray, ask the Holy Spirit right now in your own prayer. Ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to me? Now ask him this question. How, how do you want me to respond to what you're saying to me? With your head still bowed and your eyes closed, is there someone here who would say, you know, I've never really submitted my life to God? And today, I know I need to do that right now. 
If that's you, would you raise your hand and say, that's me. I need to submit my life to God. My heart, my mind, my life, my tongue, my marriage, my, my family, everything. Is that you? Would you raise your hand and just say, that's me. Anybody? Amen. Praise God, brother. Amen. Father, as we as we spend these holy moments here with you right now, we pray in the name of Jesus that you will connect your heart to ours more and more. That you will restrain our tongues, that you'll help us to listen with our ears. Help us to understand, to be clear. Help us to clearly understand what you are saying to us. We thank you, God, that your word is always true and that you are patient and kind with us and you do everything possible to lead us to yourself. Now in these moments as we worship, Father, I pray that you will continue to draw your sons and daughters to yourself as we stop and as we submit and as we surrender to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.